This episode of the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast is brought to you by Archipelago Productions' three-part miniseries, Devout and Out. The show follows three LGBTQ individuals who have chosen to become or remain leaders in their respective churches. I've watched through this series twice, and it is easily one of the best series I've seen all year. It's smart, thought-provoking, conversation-launching, funny, heartwarming, and is going to show you a side of Canada you have never seen before. You can watch Devout and Out in Canada on the CBC Gem app or elsewhere in the world on YouTube. Enjoy. After all, there is nothing real outside our perception of reality, is there? If you wish to avoid prosecution, I would advise that you comply with our language laws. This is the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the RCMP. That's the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. I am your co-host today, Becky Shrimpton, and with me once again is Mr. Cameron Maitland. Hey, Cam, how's it going? Hi, Becky. It's going good. Good, good. So, uh, you know, we launched the Patreon, eh? Yes. Yeah. Uh, what are you going to do with your <laughs> countless riches that we get from our very I'll probably donors? give them to you so you can uh, make the podcast. <laughs> make it better, brighter, get more of that yeah, hosting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm into it. Make I like sure it. you don't end up in the poorhouse. <laughs> well, one of the things I love so much about uh, the fact that we now have a Patreon is it gives us a little bit more flexibility so we can get great guests on, like our guest today. Uh, Sarah Liz MacArthur is our guest. How are you doing, Sarah Liz? Good. How are you doing? Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, you were in a movie we talked about recently, Robbery. We talked to Art Hindle and we talked to Corey about that. How was that for you? Uh, it was an excellent experience. Uh, yeah, it kind of it came up um, because Corey's dad knows my agent very well. <laughs> and and uh, he already had a role for, you know, that would suit me. Um, and, uh, and so Rich... My agent pitched me, and I couldn't have been happier um, to be a part of it. What does that mean to you that we're now starting to see more representation of Indigenous people where they're just characters as opposed to mythical beings uh, in, in film and television? Well, yeah, you really hit the nail on the head there. Um, it, it's it's such a strange experience growing up as an Indigenous uh, child, young person, uh, then adult, um, because you know, so much of what we reflect upon ourselves is uh, based on what we see in the media, the movies and television especially. And I think growing up in Canada, I at least had some uh, visibility to look at, but it wasn't, it wasn't anywhere near what it is now. And then when you look at American films and it was pretty much solely the latter like the 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 mystical being or the the extinct artifact from from history <laughs> well you were recently on outlander playing an indigenous character how did that happen and what was that like for you that was a really awesome experience actually um and i've actually i found a lot of power in playing roles from uh historical settings um because we're still being included in the story and now more than ever, I'm not saying everyone, but like um, some, some productions like Outlander really do their homework and try to include something that we haven't seen before. Some details about specific cultural heritage nations like the Mohawk and the Cherokee. And it was just really refreshing to work with people that were trying to make us 
as much of the part of the conversation as they did. Um, and they, you know, they wanted to cast actual Native American or, you know, indigenous North American actors. And that's something, of course, I'm very much a fan of because that, that's been something that has happened along the way. Like you, I was looking up to someone like, just for example, like Sandrine Holtz in Dance Me Outside. And I'm like, oh, that girl's so beautiful. And she's the lead in the movie. And then she's like, she's not actually native, you know, yeah. and that is a bit of a heartbreak because you're like, as a as a young person, you're like, oh, I guess we really don't exist, yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, when you're casting Audrey Hepburn, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And that's like a long time ago. Uh, and then things, but it still happens now, you know, and so um, I feel like uh, Indigenous North Americans are, are now, thankfully, um, very much a focal point in like what's going on in the world these days, pretty much ever since Standing Rock. Mm. And um, now people are finally like, oh, wait, they do still exist. And Maybe we should get them to play themselves and maybe we should listen to their stories because we've told ours so many times over that, you know, like we could probably use some new new points of view here. <laughs> yeah. And some variations and interpretations. And the fact that we're finally seeing people who have been background actors for so long, people like Gary Farmer, people like um, Tantu Cardinal are finally getting actual mm. lead roles. And you're like, oh, great. This is they've been so amazing supporting other people. And now you actually get to see them really flex their muscles as leads. Yes, and I, I feel so lucky to be even in the generation of actors that I'm in, and I, I look forward to seeing what the younger generation has ahead of them because they're getting started younger, they're getting to be a part of bigger projects, they're getting to play roles that are um, more fully dimensional, and um, we have people like Tantu and Gary to thank for all of their hard work Um in playing those supporting characters with such depth and humanity that, you know, now we're actually, people are like, oh, maybe they should be the lead. <laughs> <laughs> Who yeah. knew yeah. they're actually good at this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, speaking of uh, the leads and all Indigenous films, you picked a movie today that is supposedly, according to all of the marketing, the first all written, all directed, and all, uh, all directed and all uh, led in the main roles by Indigenous people. What movie did you pick today? Uh, Smoke Signals. From 1998. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I can't believe it took till 1998 for all that to happen. And that we're still kind of like dealing with this 20 years later. This was yeah. supposed to break it all open in the watershed. Um, right. Yeah. I know. It's like they, they made a huge step forward and then nothing. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. they're like, wait, wait, wait. And it's like 20 years later. Now we're finally continuing, you know. <laughs> where they broke ground. Well, but. listening to interviews with Chris Iyer, apparently after this film broke and it did so well at Sundance, um, he said that they got pitched every dusty, as they put it, Indian script that had been sitting around Hollywood for the past 15 years. And they're like, there was some doozies in there. It was just like, oh, oh, we've got something with indigenous people. Let's use it. So yeah, they yeah. they just couldn't find something they wanted to do, which is why it took them so long to produce their next film. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. I believe that. Uh, well, <laughs> what is this movie about and why did you pick it? Well, um, I chose it. I was actually surprised. I don't know if it's a Canadian film, but I would consider the fact that all of the leads save like one or two <laughs> being Canadian um, making it a Canadian film and the fact that it it just really affected my life as a young person um, uh, yeah I guess that's it in a nutshell I finally got to see 
Native people in every role and being it about us. And I think I've played it over in my mind so many times that it's just, it's become so much a part of, um, of, of my experience in this world. And then also to now look at it and see like how many people I've had the amazing opportunity to work with, to get to know um, that are involved in the film or just to meet even. And, um, and that makes me feel really good. Like I'm, I'm sure like, you know, preteen Sarah Lee is pretty stoked about that. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you when you watch this movie, how uh, you said you relate to a little bit, how much mm-hmm. do you feel like it uh, incorporates uh, your standard North American film uh, tropes with more indigenous cultural stuff that most North Americans aren't aware of or haven't seen before? How do you think it plays that balance? I think it does incredibly well because Native people, they've got incredible drama and tragedy involved in their lives yes but they also have immense humor and it's very um unique humor and it's all wrapped up into one it's not like now we do the funny part you know like (laughs) (laughs) this is where the jokes go yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. and i feel like it's definitely maybe the first film where i i see that fully realized on both sides and um it doesn't and it's not afraid to show some of the, you know, the the ugly side. Like, yes, there are uh, is a problem with alcoholism on a lot of uh, in a lot of communities um, and and violence and that sort of and poverty. And and but that's not what our lives are about, really. Mm. You know, so and even if I didn't grow up like on a reserve, I certainly spent time on one and I, and I have a lot of um, friends and family. So I feel like some of those things, you know, very dramatic and, and Hollywood almost, but I'm sure they actually happen to some people. And it's just the way that you choose to tell it that makes it cinematic or not. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about the plot line. Can you just walk us through the plot briefly? Sure. So basically we have uh, Victor and Thomas and there are these, I think they're about 20, um, 20 years old. Um, and there are these native guys that live on the Coeur d'Alene Indian reservation. And Thomas or Thomas loves Victor's dad. Like he thinks Victor's dad is like this hero. Mm. And Victor thinks that his dad was a jerk who left him and his mom and was drunk and, you know, wasn't a good guy at all. So Victor finds out that his dad actually died and his dad is nowhere near the res. And uh, the the woman that his dad had been living with uh, says, like, if you can come get his ashes, he wants to go home. And uh, and so then Thomas, being this little nerd boy who grew <laughs> up with his his grandmother because his parents died in a fire that um, Victor's dad saved him from. So that's why he thinks Victor's dad is so great. And so he says, like, I saved up, like, every cent I have in my, like, piggy bank, basically. And I'll, um, I'll go with you to on a road trip, basically, like, on the bus to pick up your dad's ashes with you. But the thing is, like, you have to take me, too. Like, I'm not just giving you the money to go. Like, you have to take me, too. So it becomes this kind of, like, road trip buddy film where they're almost like the odd couple Mm. you know one of them's very stoic and angry and the other one's like i think he says at one point he's uh 
the Victor calls him like he's trying to be a medicine man all the time and that he's watched Dances with Wolves like a hundred times. <laughs> and he has, he admits to it. <laughs> yeah, he just like, oh, he's like trying to count. He's like, oh, geez, it's really been that many times. Which is, is it weird to you guys that it, this is a universe in which Dances with Wolves exist, but Tantu Cardinal is his mother? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's nice. That's just funny, actually. I mean, it's really good, actually. I, I, look, I like that aspect of it. <laughs> totally. Oh, the self-referential stuff is, like, where a lot of the humor comes from. Because it's like, yeah, we're not taking ourselves too seriously. But, man, uh-huh. this movie is funny. Like, there's all these little, like, quirks of all these unusual people. Um, the opening with the DJ and the traffic guy just killed me. <laughs> Thomas is the funniest man alive. Yeah. Oh, man, he's just so good. And I love oh. this also has that quintessential, uh, as soon as the character takes their glasses off, their hot moment. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then he puts them back on and smiles and like, yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> all goes away. It's just, yeah, it's just so well, it's just so poignant and like, you know, well executed. Um I, I, I still love it. <laughs> oh, totally. Well, the levels of this. So it's based on a book by Sherman Alexie, uh, who mm-hmm. also wrote the screenplay. It's part of a, a series of essays within this book that all sort of inter- interconnect on this Coeur d'Alene reservation. And this is just kind of one of the little stories that happen in it. And it's interesting because every review I saw referred to another film called Pow Wow Highway from 1989, which also stars Gary Farmer as this being like a companion piece to that one. Um, mm-hmm. Have you seen that one, Sarah Liss? I have. Yeah, I have seen it. I like it. I think that, you know, I think didn't Power Highway come out quite before this? Oh, yeah, about 10 years, about a decade. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was there's a lot of similarities because it's like it's a road trip film. It's indigenous film. Um, There's definitely some funny aspects, but I I guess it just maybe just because of the era I was raised in, like, like this smoke signals was just so much more than that for me it totally is and i feel like but this builds on those bones to be like yeah that's what the american version is and then this is actually what it's supposed to look like these are what real people are we're not standing in the middle of a creek singing you know what i mean exactly yeah that was like the colonizer version like the hollywood (laughs) version we'll call it and this is like when we tell it and now we're doing an actual, actual reclamation. Something that I think really speaks to me is in the writing of this, and it's when novels are adapted into teleplays and screenplays, it's sometimes tough to get rid of that narrative quality, but this embraces mm-hmm. that narrative quality. You get all of the voiceovers, mm-hmm. especially as Thomas tells stories. Uh, yeah. Does that work for you? It super works for me, and I was thinking about that actually when I was reviewing the film because as an actor, when I was in acting school when I was younger, they would always try to give us, if we needed to do a monologue, like we had to not tell a story. We had to mm. be experiencing it right now to make it visceral and not narrative. And you can't really act out telling a story. But I think that Thomas's character like defies that. He literally like makes telling a story active. It's just the way he does it with the, the, the words that he uses and and um the humor involved and and the the embellishments that he makes up you know and then he acts out part of it and he like kind of like visualizes it and yeah and i think and even um gary's character when he's telling the story about about victor and the jesuits and they had the basketball like that is such a like it's the way he he's reliving it is what he's doing. So like that, that makes it, and then he's embellishing it, you know, which makes it even better because like reliving it is just like, is 
isn't as active, but like embellishing it is like, that's an active, like tense change, you know, like mm-hmm. you've left, you've left the past. Now you're like making up this huge, like this, this universe that isn't quite real, but based on reality. And it's just so interesting. And that's the art of storytelling. And I think they did a really great job with all of those because they, they incorporated it from the beginning. Like, it's like yeah. he's telling a story, he's having a flashback and then stuff seems to get a little bit embellished, but it's entertaining. So like, Everyone goes with it, you know? This episode of the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast is brought to you by Archipelago Productions. For over 15 years, the team at Archipelago have been making groundbreaking and award-winning films, television, and corporate video for brands like Google, Netflix, Etsy, Time Magazine, and the University of Toronto. Visit archipelagoproductions.ca to find out how they can help you elevate and execute your next video project. Well, and now uh, let's also talk about the way time works in this, because there are a lot of flashbacks, but it seems like there's a little bit of a slide. And in a novel or a short story, you can just kind of be like, oh, and back in 1982, this is the thing that happened. You can tell it as story. But when in film, it just needs to be more active and not so much of a monologue. Did the time jumps work for you guys? For me, yeah, because they also like they there's that big reveal at the climax uh, when we find out from Irene Bedard's character that uh, that Gary Farmer actually was the one who started the fire, you know, and that that like the time the flashbacks like if we would have had to do a whole flashback like you know what I mean like <laughs> earlier, but because we get to jump around a bit and things are revealed and it makes it less like less like it wasn't just her telling. Victor, which is Adam Beach's character, uh, like, this is what, you know, like, we don't want to just see the actress doing it. We want to see what actually happened, like, visually while she's talking. And I thought that that worked for me, yeah. personally. I really like the 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 visual tricks, too, especially with the relationship with, with uh, Victor and Thomas, how sometimes they'll just walk through a door and then on the other side, they're children. And that they they actually considering there's so much storytelling, they tell a lot of their relationship via these kind of dreamy moments of just showing them as two young kids. And often it's it's unprompted other than visually connecting to the previous sequence. I think it's a very cool way to do it, especially in a movie that is so full of storytelling. <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and so full of uh, metaphor. Like, I mean, you've got all your fire and ash metaphors going on. There's there's so much happening that you're like, all right, is this, um, am I able to connect to this emotionally, even though when I'm reading literature, all right, I'm more actively engaged with my mind that way. Whereas when I'm watching a film, it doesn't necessarily happen in the same, in the same manner, unless I'm watching maybe Terrence Malick, where it's all metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, the the metaphor aspect, I mean, they kind of like go right into it at the end with uh, Thomas's like epilogue, basically. Mm. But um, I think as a child, I like wasn't really ready to hear that mm-hmm. um, part, like because I was still living in my, you know, my distance from my father and and do you forgive and, you know, and that I wasn't ready for that. And I remember it being like it was like. It was this weird feeling of feeling like, oh, somebody gets me, but also like I'm not ready for that, you know? Mm-hmm. And like now that I'm older, like I still I really appreciate that section and I see how it could like relate to anyone because it's like for leaving or not leaving or for <laughs> marrying yeah. our mom or not marrying our mom. Like, yeah. you know, um, 
you know, it was just, it was very powerful for me in that way. Yeah. And there's something I read in an interview with Sherman Alexie where he was saying that the, this is a direct quote, he says, the way time works in Indian culture is a lot more circular so that the past, the present, and the future are all the same thing. So when they were doing those, they wanted to make sure there was sort of that flow to it. I agree. Well, no, that's like, that's, that's definitely a part of like indigenous storytelling and, and teachings and cultural, like that's like one thing that we do all have in common, like all over North America, um, regardless of where the borders are now. Um, but like time is cyclical, past is present is future. You have to care about the future generations and children are so important and the earth is so important. And, and, um, and so that we don't want to forget about things or change stories so that we don't learn from them. Like we're trying to do the opposite, actually, <laughs> you know, yeah. keeping the stories alive. It is very accessible to North American audiences. It hits a lot of this uh, similar road trip movie tropes. That's the skeleton it's built on. But it is, of course, adding this extra layer. But some of it, too, because I'm not, unfortunately, that familiar with uh, certain important elements of uh, Native culture that I felt I was like, okay, I know this is important. I know this matters. But I feel like I'm missing part of the joke or I'm missing part of the the pith and the meaning. So I would have to go and look it up. And it's the same as when I watch, like, something from Korea. I don't necessarily get one of the jokes or one of the pop culture references. So one of the things I think that they do a good job of being clear that it's like, this is a big deal, um, but I didn't necessarily understand why, and I had to look it up. The cutting off of hair, why mm-hmm. is why is that so, so meaningful and why is that so big? Well, it's not so much as a why as it is. Um, it, it's just so, it just is so important, but um, it's only in some cultures, for instance, not all, but my culture has that because hair is sacred for native people. So like, you don't just go up and touch someone's hair, you know, without asking first, <laughs> it holds a lot of your, um, it holds a lot of your spirit of your energy. It's been with you a very long time, you know, so it's experienced the story of your life with you, you know. And similarly, like, I'll just try to make it as um, literal as I can. Like, if you've been alive with someone that you care about so much um, and that person has been and your hair has been there that whole time, right? Like, you Mm -hmm. know, and you can touch it still. Like, it's still very, it's still very present. But the thing is, when people pass on, you have to let them go. And we have um, ceremonies and, uh, you know, medicine men to help us with that when we do need um, some help letting go. Cutting the hair is mourning and letting go. And it's an offering also. Like um, in some in some ceremonies, you would offer like you like, you know, cut part of your skin on your arm or something as a flesh offering. And like um, you could like put your hair like you know you can offer it to to the to nature or or to the person like if you wanted to put that put it in the burial um before they go down uh and that sort of thing so it's like it's it's very symbolic and spiritual and um very important part of of our culture and that's also why i mean i'm not going to try to get totally political here but like um i mean like that's part of the reason why like when if you watch something like where the spirit lives and they're cutting those little kids hair yeah like that is such like i know it's bad for everybody like to have their hair cut but like 
literally you're taking like the most sacred thing on that person's body <laughs> and taking it away from them, you know, so that that it's not just like, like, oh, we're just going to make you look better now. It's like okay. you're actually taking something very um, intrinsic to who they are on so many levels away from them. So, you know, yeah, hair is a big deal <laughs> in yeah. Native culture. And it's like, I don't even think I was raised to think that. It, it's definitely like a blood. It's been passed down like a, as a blood heritage thing to me. Mm. Like, I, I really care about my hair and I like treating it well. And um, my my sister, Nina MacArthur, is a hair and makeup artist on film and television as well. And I've had the chance to work with her a few times and you know, that's another thing that, like, just really gets us going about the way, like, uh, Native people are depicted in, in, in um, uh, for lack of a better term, white white films. Because, you know, they'll be like, oh, like, she's dirty. Her hair is messy. Her, like, you know, and it's just like, no, 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 no. Like, yeah. that's like, like her hair would have been neatly tied or left down but would have been kept nice you know yeah. and yeah she had a story about i don't even know which production it was but i probably wouldn't be able to say but like <laughs> that where that she just shared with me where she like went and her assistant had messed up all the extras hair yeah. oh wow and like back combed it from oh. the bottom Jesus. and she's like i told you to smooth it out and she, mm. what what did you do and she's like um well you told me to do my research and it's like well what did you do your research by like watching dances with wolves this yeah. isn't stands with a fist she goes, yeah she's like smoothing out all their hair anyway yeah so you know it's it's a big deal <laughs> and that's that so interesting because that means that they use it in two different ways in the film because you have it as a sense of mourning and wanting the cut of the ties of the past for gary farmer's character because he's like well i messed up big so i'm gonna cut this off and i'm no longer this is the the part of shame and this is the part of I, my apology and my offering and then you get yeah. the the kind of something different happening with the Adam Beach character later because he is that's his his gesture of forgiveness that's his gesture of like all right I'm cutting off all of my rage and frustration now and I'm moving forward yeah totally and I'm glad that you were like struck by that enough to research it because it is really difficult to say with words and that's where like movies really do help you know mm. like you can't just like write it down in a textbook and like if they ever even teach it yeah. um, <laughs> I expect people to understand you, you know the the importance of it but but if you put it in a movie you can see the meaning of it and hopefully understand it experientially yeah now what do you guys think did happen to this because it was such a huge breakthrough it won all the big audience awards and everything at Sundance it made it it made the rounds um last year it was admitted into the National Film Registry but it just kind of disappeared i had a really hard time finding this to watch this and that's probably part of because it's a Amir max film unfortunately um oh. what do you guys think happened like why did it just and, and also when you see these big breakthrough movies of like yes finally we have a voice for like you know the filipino people and all of a sudden yeah. it all disappears um yeah. why does that happen why do these things well, like splash then that just I, I, I mean just doing film history research this year especially it just happens constantly for for filmmakers of color like it almost doesn't even matter like we we did this big thing on 1992 which had such a boom for uh african-american directors including lots of african-american women directors but almost all of them never made another movie so or are just starting now uh, which you see a lot with this director as well i mean 
for me, smoke signals. I, at first, I was like, uh, have I seen this? And then the minute you see Evan Adams, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I saw this a few times. <laughs> like, I, I totally remember that character, and it really, like, gave me an emotional memory. So I think in Canada, it played, you know, and we, we probably watched it in school. And I think I might have even gone in theaters based on the timing. But, right. um, yeah, I don't know. I, it's just, it's the system, right? It's just uh, like Hollywood is still white supremacy. And I think especially, especially because this guy's operating in the U.S. mostly, there's just yeah. no, no system for it. Yeah, it's, it's too bad because I, like, I feel like maybe now, like, you can be hopeful that yeah. things are starting to change. But I'm still very <laughs> apprehensive about having any, like, real hope because... Yeah. It's just like, I've seen this happen before, like, you know, Indians were popular in the 90s for like a window and then we disappeared again. And who knows, like maybe this, uh, I I do really think that Standing Rock had a big push with our visibility again um, on the world stage. But, you know, people forget. So I hope that that doesn't happen. And I hope that we take this opportunity. And there are a lot of us now. Um, who are well-trained and ready to go and making things and, you know, like, so just waiting for another extremely poignant film to come out and maybe a TV show, you know, let's, let's think big. We'll get like two, me- two mediums going. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) exactly. And you look at someone like Adam Beach. I mean, the dude's got 94 credits as an actor. He is probably, I would say right now, he's probably one of the most mainstream indigenous actors that's out there. He's done so well. I mean, it helps. He's incredibly attractive. (laughs) So (laughs) so that helps. But I mean, he's just so good. And he's so good for that sort of visibility. And the more they give him the lead and the more they let him, you know, play and do what he does, that helps. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. just getting those actual stories that he's not part of someone else's story. Exactly. And the, a negative example of recently that I saw that kind of made me feel like, oh, I guess we haven't done any work uh, <laughs> is, uh, is Hostels. Oh, you sure. know, like I was just like, oh, geez, really? Yeah. Like, oh, and you're going to say that you reimagined the western as like i don't really see anything reimagined except that you have like a skinny white woman in the lead yeah like yeah. <laughs> it's still exactly the same and the natives were used as glorified extras and they were like some of the best native talent that we have yeah. around you know and uh it was just so frustrating because i'm like this story would have been so much more interesting if you would have just included their voice in it yeah you know? yeah. Just flip the but camera yeah. a little bit. Let me talk to the actually <laughs> interesting people. Come on. But. Yeah, I, I'm actually fascinated because Chris Eyre gets a special thanks. And I'm like, what did they do with him? Like, did well, he, they paid did he him develop to, like, it? Yeah. No, I think they paid him to give his seal of approval. And even like then, yeah. he's a cultural advisor, I believe. And so mm. he... He, I mean, the thing is, when you're getting paid, it's your job, and oh, you're yeah, yeah. doing your best, but nobody is forced to listen to you. Yeah, they just don't you listen know? to you. Yeah. It might have been even worse before he was involved. Yeah, true. <laughs> true, true. He, he might have changed something. But yeah, you hear a lot about the people who are cultural advisors saying they spend all their time, and then nobody listens. They mm-hmm. just do it to get the credit and like leave, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, on a lighter note, that's us at favorite <laughs> moments, guys. Favorite <laughs> uh, moments? Favorite moments. Yeah. Cam, do you want to start us out? Oh, sure. I mean, I love all the Susie Song stuff. Uh, I think that that's just such an interesting relationship. And 
it play i guess like what you were saying where it's like a novel it's not it doesn't start or end neatly with her character mm-hmm. and, and they leave so much of their relationship up to question and, and just to see what you see like you glean what you want from it and i yeah i just find that very moving and also the way yeah the way she and victor kind of find a common ground without finding a common ground you know he just leaves her but you kind of get that they're probably okay with each other by the end of it and yeah it's it's just a very interesting i found that interlude very moving and the fact that they come back to her even when the boys are gone yeah mm-hmm. just a very interesting character yeah um i think it's still to this day my favorite moment is when um when thomas is telling the story about about victor's mom and she she had the fry bread and there wasn't enough to go around <laughs> and she's like wait and like <laughs> just like tantu there with like her hands and like you know and then she's like she rips it in half in front of everyone and it's like and then there was enough fry bread for everyone and it's just like that kind of uh re like i guess it's like our version like our spin on the loaves and fishes yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> but it's hilarious like yeah. you know so yeah i was like oh yeah i like this story yeah. that <laughs> is that your favorite overall moment of the whole thing um, i would say like that's like this like vis- the visually like comes to mind uh i really like the john wayne's teeth thing oh, it's yeah. like it's that whole section there where he's like you're not you learn dan- like how to be an indian from watching dances with wolves and and then and then he goes and he like learns he like makes himself look hot and then he puts his his glasses on and smiles again and then they get on the bus and then these like jerky like cowpoke dudes are like yeah this is not your seat and i could feel the tension rising and i think as that was a really important moment for me because that kind of stuff happened to me growing up uh, a lot. And people try to like be like, oh, well, they're not really being racist to you because they didn't see it happen and they've never experienced racism, you know. But that stuff happened to me like multiple times and I clocked it as a child and I still remember it very vividly each moment. And so I, I felt this like intense pressure and, and like you know a tension happening in that moment and I was like what are they gonna do it's gonna get ugly yeah. people are gonna yell like you know but then they just like they kind of take the higher ground and go and sit down and then they diffuse it with with <laughs> comedy because like yeah. you know Evan Adams character is like he's like well I guess the stoic look doesn't work every time does it? <laughs> <laughs> and then they start singing that John Wayne's teeth and like making everyone uncomfortable and just like yeah. getting like really native like <laughs> 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 so it's, yeah oh man for me it's the way Thomas ends stories just kills me <laughs> like the way like how he finds the moral and the summation and my favorite one is when he's talking about the Grand Slam breakfast uh, mm-hmm. and he says someday it's a good day to die someday it's a good day to have breakfast. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> that is true. Yes, silly little things. Or he's like, we would framed. Exactly. He's he's so wonderful, and you can't get enough of him. And I also now love that that uh, that uh, Evan Adams is now an obstetrician in BC. And I can right. Think, I know he's like, no, not an actor. I'm anymore. good. His performance is so good because that character could be twee and cloying and like annoying, and he dips into mm. annoying 
annoying just a little bit, but he's just so charming that you can understand why he drives Victor nuts, but also why mm-hmm. Victor would be like, fine, he can come along. You know, like he's more the nerdy little brother than he is like the, the dweeb, right? And it's such a like, it's a timeless character now. Like he created, like not just Evan, but I guess like everyone involved, but like, you know, Evan embodies this character that has never been like matched in any and I don't think in any way like in any any movie that I've seen and definitely not um in indigenous like films like you can't you can't like you can like make reference to him forever and it'll always be you know (laughs) Thomas from Smoke Signals (laughs) he's wonderful well there was also another I always go through and read the reviews just to like kind of see especially on like Letterboxd and things see what normal people thought of this movie and and if they're still talking about it people are definitely still talking about this movie and my favorite review that I found was Gary Farmer is better than Pacino or De Niro come at me film bros (laughs) 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 <laughs> which you know i can get on board with i can see that argument so. he's a very very good actor man like he's just he's great he's one of the greats like even just you know when he does like a tv role he's not just doing like he doesn't just half do it or like you know hit his mark and say his lines he like does a full commitment and it's like memorable no i'm oh. the, i feel the same way about tantu cardinal man like no matter oh, yeah. what she's in it just she just knocks it up to the next level and you're just like how are you doing that you have two oh. lines and you're all i want to watch right <laughs> you know and you're like what about her where'd she go um <laughs> yeah but no and I, I i think that's great because she's keeping the bar so high so like for me i'm like well, I've got to, like, last that long and keep getting better. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm not going to be as good as her ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, especially because she has to play the, that moment where, like, she is in Thomas's story and then this big heightened version of herself. And then you see her, you know, she, she, she just has so many things to do in this and so many different levels and layers. Anyone, mm. you know, this is not an easy role. It's not just mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, exactly. All right, we are at the end of our time. So, Sarah Lise, can okay. you just let us know what you think people should see? What do you want people to check out of your stuff, and how do they find you on socials? Okay, so I'll start with the socials. It's at Sarah Lise MacArthur. That's spelled S-E-R-A-L-Y-S-M-C-A-R-T-H-U-R. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I guess robbery, if you can see it, I, I there has not been – an official announcement, but I think like sometime in October is kind of, there's supposed to be some sort of release. So whether, I don't know if that's going to be in theaters or on some sort of streaming site, but um, stay tuned and I'll definitely put it on my socials. I, uh, yeah, well, well, check out Outlander if you haven't. Um, episode 412 from this most recent season and uh, stay tuned for the first encounter. Also have like um, some supporting roles on, like have a supporting role on Monkey Beach. I'm not sure when that's coming out, but that's another Canadian film that's been in the works for many, many years and finally got <laughs> um, made. So looking forward to seeing how that ends up. Fantastic. Nice. How about you, Cam? Oh, uh, I'm just at CamFest on Twitter. Uh, and yeah. I guess that's about it. I don't know what's coming out lately. Uh, <laughs> HollywoodSuite.ca is all the, the stuff I write. And uh, 
videos and things. You can find stuff there. Beautiful. And as per usual, you can find me on the Twitters at Liz Shrimpton. That's the Masculine Shrimpton over there. We, of course, have a Patreon. So if you like the work that we're doing, come visit us at Patreon. That's slash RCM pod. Not RCM podcast. That's the Real Man's Christmas Christian podcast. That is not us. <laughs> um, but uh, that's about everything, guys. Thank you so much for joining us, Erlise. Do you want to go get a moose head? Oh, sure. <laughs> no, I'm gluten-free. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> but thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. If you like what we're doing, please remember to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcatcher. It helps people find our podcast and Canadian media they love. Come chat with us at RCM Pod on Facebook or on Twitter at RCM Pod. Our theme song is by Craig Stewart and our show art is by Paul Stachniak. Join us next week for another great film from the wilds of Canadian cinema.